Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 11. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You may be seated. All right, as you're seated, let me pray. Father, we're so grateful for the way that you've gifted your church, that we might love one another, that we might be very clear about who you are, and that we might shine light into this world. Uh, We ask you that you would fill us with your spirit even as we do look at these gifts and that you would strengthen our understanding, you'd heal our wounds, and that you would instruct us from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thomas Jefferson was the third American president and was the principal author of the American Declaration of Independence. Um, He also made his own Bible for his personal use. So, you win some, you lose some. He made his own Bible. He was influenced by a movement called deism, and deism believed that God was sort of like a cosmic watchmaker, that God spun everything into existence, created the world, set it all in motion, but then he backed off. He doesn't intervene in the affairs of human beings. They saw religion as something that was very good for society in general, but only understood it in a moral sense of embracing what was rational, what could be grounded in reason, and... They liked rational thought and reason over and against the revelation of the nature and character of God. This is the focus that they had. Many who were Christians who then looked to deism came out with kind of a quasi-deist Christian belief that reduced God to uninvolved in our lives. There's a picture of the Jefferson Bible for you. Um, Thomas Jefferson took what What he did is he sat down one night and he just started cutting out the Gospels. He just cut out little pieces of the Gospels that he liked, discarded the pieces that he didn't like, took only the things he thought were true or right or necessary or good for a moral life. He took out all the bits that he liked and he glued them in another notebook. It's actually in the Smithsonian Museum and you can go page by page to see what he cut and what you didn't, which was a fairly fun exercise for me this week. Hmm, interesting, he didn't like that. Oh, well, he kept that in. That makes sense. One scholar, uh, he's a historian, his name's Stephen Nichols, he writes about this. He says, Jefferson's rendition of the birth narratives would be disappointing for a Christmas pageant. Uh, No angelic visitations, no wise men, and no virgin birth. Actually, no miracles at all. Jesus' ministry starts in Jefferson's Bible with the overturning of the uh, tables in the temple, but, but he does not include the water-to-wine miracle. No miracles. No healings, no walking on water, just moral teaching. And when Jesus goes to the cross and he dies and he is then buried in a borrowed tomb, that's the end of Jefferson's book. Jesus dead in a tomb. That's the end of his personal Bible. No resurrection, no ascension. 
Jefferson went through the Gospels, cut out all the references to Jesus as God, discarded them. All references to miracles, all references to the supernatural. And what he did was he turned Jesus into a good moral teacher and a moral example for us. What am I talking about? I'm concerned that some of us may, in little ways, be tempted to do the same thing with the gifts of the Spirit as we look at them here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All I'm looking to do today is just to bring some definition to the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10, and talk about how we might use the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we've each received for the common good. Very simple. Today is going to sound a lot more like teaching than preaching. So, I mean, I'm not promising there's no excitement in me or something. I'm not... uh, I never know how it's going to go. But I figured on one hand, we could just sort of try and model all the gifts of the Spirit on a Sunday morning, or I could just spend some time teaching. So I went with teaching. I'm going to move through this fairly quickly, and I'm going to move through a lot of content. Um, I think last week's sermon is very important in terms of setting us up for our understanding of who God is and God the Holy Spirit is. And today, I just want to talk about what the gifts are. Uh, Let me say a few things about the gifts of the Spirit in general, and then I'm going to move toward defining each of them here in this text. Um, A special note to the community group leaders that Sam was already talking about. Sam has sent you some great content that will help you uh, as a group leader and also just help you lead this conversation. And um, Sam always sends good information to you, but I just would commend that to you. Um, Here's my very broad definition. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used to serve God's people and God's mission in the world. Very broad. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used to serve God's people and God's mission in the world. When you take the four places that we see lists of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, you would find Romans chapter 12, you'd find 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, you would find Ephesians chapter 4, and you would find 1 Peter chapter 4. These are all lists of clear gifts of the Holy Spirit. What you would end up with if you did so is you would end up with a list of 21 gifts. These are not an exhaustive or closed list of gifts. I want to say it again. This is not an exhaustive list. These serve as examples of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are not limited to these lists, but the gifts of the Spirit that we definitively, that we see in Scripture are definitively included in what we understand to be gifts of the Spirit. All followers of Jesus have received the gifts of the Holy Spirit for the common good. I emphasized that last week. There's a diversity of gifts that all come from one spirit. It's not a whole bunch of Holy Spirits running around. There's one Holy Spirit, and the one Holy Spirit gives a variety of gifts. Now, I confidently say that all followers of Jesus have received spiritual gifts because I can confidently say that all followers of Jesus have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, which means there is no two-tiered distinction between a spirit-filled Christian and a non-spirit-filled Christian. There is no two-tiered distinction between gifted Christians and non-gifted Christians. If you've received the Holy Spirit, which you, if you're a follower of Jesus, have, then you've also received gifts to serve in his church. At Christ City, we believe in the full continuation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit under the authority of Scripture. I want to say that again because it's very important. At Christ City, we believe in the full continuation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit under the authority of Scripture. We believe in all of the gifts in all of the biblical lists. That would put us in a theological category called continuationists. We believe in the continuation of the gifts of the Spirit for the church today. 
It's important to say that good, godly men and women disagree and debate folks like us on this topic. They would be in a theological category called cessationists because they believe that some of the gifts here in our text have ceased operating in the church today. You have continuationists and you have cessationists. And I'm going to share a few points on each of these. I'm actually deeply indebted to an essay by Kevin DeYoung for the simplicity of the points that I'm going to share. Four points on each one. The continuation of all the gifts of the Spirit. Continuation of all the gifts of the Spirit versus the cessation of some of the gifts of the Spirit. Cessationists claim that some of the gifts, such as tongues and prophecy, for sure, uh, they would say, maybe others, depending on who you're talking to, because not all cessationists agree with one another, um, they would say that these gifts, definitely tongues and prophecy and miracles and maybe some others, they would say these gifts ceased after Jesus' 12 apostles died. Cessationists, okay, four points, they say, first, the miraculous gifts that we see in the New Testament were for the initial establishing of the church and were only needed as a sign to validate the truth of the gospel in that generation. Then they stopped. Second, they would say in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 10, which we're going to look at in a few weeks, they would say that prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, it says in that text, will cease when the perfect comes. Um, there's a minority of cessationists that would say that when the Bible was completed, that was the perfect that came. Um, others would say it was when the 12 apostles died, and others have different views of it. But the emphasis is that there is a, an end to some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They would say, third, that revelatory gifts, such as tongues and prophecy, undermine the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. So they would say somehow that tongues and, and prophecy are undermining the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. And then fourth, they would say the miraculous gifts that we see today are not the same as the gifts that we see in the New Testament. Okay, so in my conversations with my cessationist friends, I think that is a clear presentation of the basics of what they believe. Um, anytime you want to contrast what you think about something on a secondary or tertiary issue with someone else, and in the way that I'm doing it, I'm setting them up as two different views. Anytime we do that, we want to make sure that we're holding them to actually what they think, not some sort of caricatured version of what they think. We want to do that with kindness and gentleness. Um, I love some of my brothers and sisters in the faith who disagree with me and, and Christ City on this topic. And so I think this is a faithful presentation of, of the essence of what they believe. On the other hand, there are the continuationists, and, and that's where we're at on this. And we would say that all of the gifts continue today. Okay, just four quick points on this. First, without a clear word to the contrary, uh, I believe we should assume that all of the gifts are still in effect. And as it says in 1 Corinthians 14.1, that we should earnestly desire them. There is simply nothing I see in the scriptures that would indicate that some of the gifts of the Spirit were only meant to be temporary. I don't see that in scripture. Number two, the perfect in 1 Corinthians 13, I believe that refers to the return of Christ. Not to the completion of the Bible, which is a pretty tough thing to stick a date on. But it must be pointed out that some cessationists actually agree with us on this. They just come to a different conclusion and, and, and they go a different direction with it. But I think in 1 Corinthians 13, the perfect coming is the return of Christ. Okay, Three, um, the revelatory gifts, including prophecy in tongues and, and, and 
They don't have the same authority as Scripture. Prophecy must always be tested against Scripture. This is our authority here. We believe in the 66 books of the inspired Bible. So someone runs around saying, thus saith the Lord, something that's not in here, just go, shh, love you, but shh. And if they're saying something that's really bad, don't, don't just say shush, just, you know, we'll take them out. In, in love, in the spirit. No, we, we take seriously the teaching of Scripture, and so anything that's false against that, we take very seriously. And there's a lot of warnings about false teachers in Scripture, and we want to continue that as well. Prophecy as we understand it, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about it in the next you know, several weeks, never disagrees with Scripture. Fourth, um, I see no scriptural reason why the gifts of the Spirit today, including some of what um, some people would call more miraculous gifts, which I don't think is actually a helpful distinction since all of these gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I think they're all miraculous in some ways. I see no scriptural reason why some of the gifts of the Spirit today would be understood to be any different than they were in the first century. So I don't know why we would define them differently. Um, there's entire books written on this debate, just so you know. And... Um, you know, I can help you find them if you're interested in that. But if you want to read some very brief explanations of each point, Sam has sent uh, two articles to your community group leaders, one from a continuationist perspective and one from a cessationist perspective. And I think it's really important that you note that the two guys who, are, who, who wrote these two articles are actually friends. They disagree on secondary and tertiary distinctives that we're talking about here today. Um, they disagree on this, but they literally serve together in gospel-centered ministry. Because this issue should not be a cause for division like that. Um, we're actually going to see in the coming weeks, I, I think that's Paul's whole point in 1 Corinthians 13, or, or, or 12, 13, 14. Don't divide over this stuff. Just here's, here's what he says in, in terms of how to understand it. So that said, um, I'm fully convinced in the continuation of the gifts of all the, Holy, uh, all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit for today. And I think we do a disservice to the body of Christ when we take the gifts that we see in the New Testament and we just sort of cut some of them out like they had a best before date, like the milk in your fridge. You say, well, they, they were expiring at some point. I just, I, I don't see that as consistent with the teaching of Scripture. You and I cannot build doctrine around good or bad experiences of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We cannot build doctrine around non-experiences of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there are times when both continuationists and cessationists actually do that. They take their experience, they build a doctrine around it, and then they force it onto Scripture. Both parties have at times been guilty of doing so. We need to build our doctrine around, uh, and our definition, and our right use of the spiritual gifts, we need to build that around what the Bible actually says, not around a, either a blind acceptance of all things, or around a discomfort with regard to the gifts of the Spirit. It's important that we build our doctrine not on experience, but on Scripture. Um, and, and, and while, and I want to be kind about this, not all cessationists are doing what Jefferson did with the Gospels, just cutting and pasting what they can and cannot accept today. Um, I am concerned that we live in a very rationalistic, uh, a very reason-oriented society. And because of that, we are okay making Christianity a little less transcendent, a little less otherworldly, a little less maybe spiritually powerful because we think somehow it's going to be easier for some people to come to believe. I would say that's wrong on a number of levels, but one of them is that might be your culture, but that is certainly not true around the world. It's, it's true in our city, I think. But if you go around the world, I mean, the, 
the acceptance of spiritual powers at work in the world, there's more people on the planet who just have that as a default than don't. Sort of a Western European Enlightenment rationalistic view of the world is maybe what we've inherited. That's not true everywhere in the world. And so I just think we have to be careful that we don't accidentally do a little bit of Jefferson work on the scriptures. Here's another thought on it. Like if you believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, you believe that he lived a sinless life, perfect life, you believe that he was crucified to bear the full weight of the wrath of God for something called sin in the world, you believe that he died on the cross and that he was then buried, and that on the third day he rose bodily from the grave and then spent a number of weeks running around in a resurrected state teaching his disciples the fullness of the kingdom. (laughs) Then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he rules and reigns over all things and from where we expect him to soon return and make all things new and lead us into eternal life. That's like the core of Christianity. If that's yours, how come you have a hard time with prophecy? That's, it's just my, I'm just saying. You've got a tough time with a few gifts of the Spirit. I just want to say, some of the stuff we believe, apart from God giving you the faith to believe it, you would never come to those conclusions on your own. So let's wrestle with what the text says. Not just what we're comfortable with, all right? All right. It's the longest introduction I've ever had in a sermon. Don't tell the rest of the preaching team what I did. Definitions and use of spiritual gifts. Look at the text, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's look at the text. Verse 8. Wisdom and knowledge. Verse 8. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Uh, This is the only place in the Bible where wisdom and knowledge are listed as gifts of the Spirit, which means that what we see in verse 8 is 100% of the content we are working with. It's hard to define. Some in more charismatic circles, uh, in Pentecostal charismatic circles, some, not all, would define wisdom and knowledge here, the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge, as revelatory gifts where God is speaking through a person with a word of divine knowledge or a word of divine wisdom. Um, To me, that falls into the category of prophecy. Now, there's a lot of overlap in all these gifts, and you're going to see this as I'm defining them. There's a lot of overlap, and I think it could be that, but uh, I'm not sure. It seems to me that these gifts are more related to spirit-empowered situational wisdom and circumstantially applied knowledge. Um, I think it's the ability to enter into a situation and speak wisely and knowledgeably to it. For example, I think we see this in our biblical counseling ministry. Our counselors are well-trained in the scriptures, and they are spirit-empowered to speak a word of biblical wisdom 
into specific situations and specific circumstances as manifestations of the Spirit for the good of the other person. I think that's one of the places that we see the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge used. Second, faith. Well, second, it's third. I'm not going to do that numbering. There's nine of them. I'm going to cover them all. The next one's faith. Verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. Okay? All faith is ultimately the result of the Spirit's work in our life. All faith. Uh, but he's not talking in this text here about saving faith. That is common to all believers rather than something that is given to, to some as a gift. We all have been given faith. All who are followers of Jesus have received that. But this is talking about something different. Um, D.A. Carson said, This special faith, however, enables a believer to trust God to bring about certain things for which he or she cannot claim some divine promise recorded in Scripture. I think this is what Jesus is talking about when he says that there's faith that moves mountains. This is faith that sees all of the realities of the situation for what they are. Maybe they're even overwhelmingly bad. And still believes that God is about to enter in and redemptively reverse the circumstances and bring about a solution to things. This is not the weird kind of optimism that just refuses to be realistic about a situation. Right? Like, you probably heard some folks talk like this. You know, someone has cancer. You say, oh, I heard she has cancer. and She does not have cancer. We don't speak like that. That's a negative word. And you go, no, no, literally, she's a test. And her doctor says she has cancer. That's a real thing. Don't be weird. Like as though you speaking differently about it is going to change the circumstances. Okay, that's not what the gift of faith is. The gift of faith is not toxic positivity. I hate toxic positivity. I'm an optimist. I really am. I promise you. I am. I see, I see things are going to work out. But toxic positivity is ridiculous. It's like it kind of puts the weight on you to just be positive all the time. And just there's bombs going off around you and the world's falling apart and things are going. And you're just like, life is good. <laughs> Seriously, that doesn't work. This is not talking about the power of positive speech. That is not the gift of faith. That's a cult. That was for free. <laughs> Sometimes you see this gift at work uh, in people who are committed to intercessory prayer. They are gifted to persist in prayer on behalf of another. And sometimes I think that is actually a manifestation of the gift of faith at work. One biographical example of this would be a 19th century uh, guy named George Mueller. He was in Bristol, England, and he started a network of orphanages. In, the, in his lifetime, they cared for over 10,000 orphans. Uh, unbelievable ministry. What a hero of the faith. And he never asked anyone for money. He didn't have any, but he didn't ask anyone for it. What he believed was that God would supply all of their needs if he just prayed. I think that's the gift of faith. One well-documented story was um, when he sat all the, or somebody sat all the kids down for breakfast. And uh, they all sat down for breakfast and they gave thanks to God for the food, except there was no food in the house. Probably confusing if you're like six. Like, huh, thank you, God, for this food. Thank you, God, for this. Okay. What happened is the baker showed up. You know, they finished their prayer, kind of said amen. Baker knocked on the door, had enough fresh bread for everybody. And the milk delivery guy, his cart broke down right outside of the orphanage. So they just brought the bottles of milk in and said, here, you guys can have these. It's a gift of faith. It's a gift of faith in operation. Next one's healing. 
Verse 9 says, to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. It's actually really interesting because if you wanted to make the original language really clear here in the way that it's translated, it would actually say gifts of healings, plural. Gifts and plural healings. Uh, now, while all Christians can and should pray for healing, uh, and while James chapter 5 actually explicitly says that if someone is sick, you should call upon the elders of the church to anoint them with oil and pray for their healing, uh, this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of healings. It would imply that there are multiple different kinds of healings that can categorically be understood as manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. Uh, We see in the ministry of Jesus there was healing. We see in the ministry of the apostles there was healing. We understand in the ministry of the church that there was healing. Paul gives this as one of the obvious gifts of the Spirit here because it was at work in the Corinthian congregation. We also see in the ministry of the church in the New Testament that people were not always healed. Um, Just think about this. Luke, who wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, Luke was on Paul's missionary team, and Luke was a doctor. right? If I'm Paul, I'm getting older, and I'm going through some rough circumstances, like getting beaten all the time. Keeping a doctor on your team is probably a good idea. right? He didn't believe in healing some sort of, you know, like a magic wand where he's like, ooh, my arm's broken. Like, that's not how healing works. People aren't always healed. In fact, they had a guy who was traveling with them named Trophimus, And he was sick at one point, and because he couldn't continue on the journey, but they wanted to keep going, they actually actually left him behind so that he could recover. So not everyone was healed. Um, I do know people who were healed of sickness, injuries, life-threatening medical conditions. And personally, I also once sat on the couch of an older godly man, loved Jesus, and I shared with him the pain in my heart my emotional pain of something I'd gone through when I was a young pastor. And when he, when he prayed for me, it was like the pain left. The memory of those circumstances is still there. Kind of like you have a scar on your body from an old wound. But the pain that I was still carrying from that day on, it was just gone. There are gifts of healings. The sting of that pain had left. The gifts of healings are vital for the church. Do you have the faith to pray for people who are physically sick? When you hear someone is not well, is your first instinct to say, let's pray for them. You may have the gift of healings. Next one's miracles. Chapter 12, verse 10 says, to another, the working of miracles. Again, it's plural, the workings of powers or the workings of miracles. Um, We could say that the workings of miracles are special divine action. And I just want to highlight this book for you because it's really faith-building and encouraging. It's called Miracles Today by a guy named Craig Keener. Craig Keener got his PhD from Duke University. This guy's not into, you know, fluffy ideas of like, oh, my back was sore, now it's good. He's not like writing it down. I'm going to write a book about this. Like, like even though I pray for sore backs and headaches and all that kind of stuff. Um, This book is filled with medically verified healings in the modern world. Just story after story after story of ridiculous grace. Amazing power to see the Holy Spirit heal people. Cancer, the blind have received sight, the lame people walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf people hear, the dead are raised. This book is full of documented accounts of that. And actually, this book is the reduced kind of popular version of his big book of miracles, which is even bigger. And the standard by which he decides whether he's not going to include this is the medically verified thing. Just, just so you know, 
Remember I told you we believe in the full continuation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Some of you look a little shocked. It's a whole book full of miracles by a scholar. Okay. Um, to add to that, so, so I think you know, uh, we would put healing in the category of miracles, but not, so all healing are miracles, but not all miracles are healing. And so we'd want to add to that uh, some categorical understanding of the things, like there's some weather miracles in the Bible, like when Elijah prays for rain in the middle of a drought and rain comes, God sends a cloud in the far distance and he can see it and he keeps praying till the cloud comes. That's a miracle. Um, a lot of people would categorize exorcisms as miracles, which is an interesting category. Uh, I once heard a story of um, there's some missionaries and their car broke down in a horribly violent area of a city and the missionary team prayed and some random guy showed up and he looked under the hood of the car and he moved something and then he put the hood down and he said, there you go, try that. Car fired up and they drove out of a horribly violent area of a city. And uh, they drove on and they got to their destination and they drove it to the mechanic and uh, the mechanic opened the hood and was like, well, you couldn't have driven this car here. The engine's cooked. Like there's parts that are, they're, they're not even on. And they were like, well, we just drove it here. And he's like, no, you didn't. And they're like, hmm, we did pray. Some guy showed up, told us it was fixed, and then we drove here. I don't know, if you know more miracles, come and tell me. <laughs> this stuff's encouraging to me. Almost all of the miracle stories I know are from missionaries. It's amazing just to see what God is doing on the front lines of mission in the world. Next one's prophecy, verse 10. To another, prophecy. Um, now this becomes a huge topic in the next couple of chapters. Uh, and so as we're going to go through 1 Corinthians, we're going to likely have almost an entire Sunday just looking at defining what we believe prophecy to be here in 1 Corinthians. But I'm going to offer this definition from a scholar named Anthony Thistleton because I think it's good. Prophecy as a gift of the Holy Spirit combines pastoral insight into the needs of persons, communities, and situations with the ability to address these with a God-given utterance or longer discourse, whether unprompted or prepared with judgment, decision, and rational reflection, leading to challenge or comfort, judgment or consolation, but ultimately building up the addressees. Um, Anthony Thistleton, uh, wonderful scholar, just so you know, my least favorite commentary because it's all like that. Very wordy, very long, and hard to read, and I'm not that smart. So this is, uh, I just share it with you because I think it's good, not because not it's concise. <laughs> that was a joke. This is one of my gifts of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's for the common good. Oh. <laughs> That's terrible. You should never say things like that. All right, when I've got more time to argue about prophecy, here's what I'm going to say. Yeah, this is the quick bullet point of what we're going to unpack in a future sermon. Um, prophecy is not merely preaching, even though preaching can be prophetic. Prophecy is not predicting the future. If someone brings you a thus saith the Lord word of prophecy and the next thing out of their mouth is not quoting chapter and verse of scripture word for word, then I would caution against hearing what they're saying based upon the fact that they are using God's name in vain. Thus saith the Lord a lot of things in this book. If it's here, you're good to go. But thus saith the Lord, you should go and do something else. I would just say you should cautiously receive that. I'd put some caution on it. 
The reason I would put some caution on it is because the New Testament gift of prophecy does not have the same authority as Scripture. That's one of the arguments that cessationists will make about continuationists, and they'll say, well, you have extra biblical revelation that you hold on the same level of authority as Scripture. And I'm saying that is not true of at least this continuationist church. We do not hold prophecy from people on the same level of authority as Scripture. We actually judge prophecy according to the truth of Scripture. And that's a very important distinction. It needs to be tested against the truth of Scripture. Um, Prophecy can be something that God spontaneously brings to mind and will either have it for a congregation like this or even for an individual. Um, That can happen. But again, it's not going to be predicting the future and it's not going to be outside the bounds of Scripture. If that happens, it is generally confirmation of something that you're already considering and praying about encouragement. It could be a word of warning or admonishment, but ultimately will lead to the building up of the individual or the church who hears it. We're going to see this in chapter 14. I love the gift of prophecy. I love it. I've had many prophecies delivered to me, and when they are tested and they are considered and they ring true and they witness with me, they're a tremendous encouragement. On the other hand, before we were married, a young woman also told Allison that God had spoken to her and that I was not the man for Allison. (laughs) We've been married 19 years now. (laughs) I have also had enough of those prophecies over the years. You have to learn how to gently discard them or you have to enter into correction, which is sometimes more trouble than it feels like it's worth. Just because someone says God spoke to me doesn't mean it's true. But you should never write off all aspects of saying someone saying, I believe God is speaking to me and I want to bring this to you. The scripture says, do not scoff at prophecies. That's what Paul the Apostle told the church at Thessalonica. So we would do well to heed that. Don't scoff at prophecies, but consider them. We're going to talk more about the abuse of the gifts of the Spirit in the weeks to come, and we'll be asking God to help us to discard what is false and to hold on what is good and true and biblical. But I know that some of you carry pain in your hearts from experiences like that one that I talked about, and worse. Um, We can talk about that. But I, I, I know that God will hold you, and he'll bring you through this. It's not worth discarding everything because of abuse. It's worth going and seeing what's true in Scripture. If you want to learn how to exercise the gift of prophecy, I would say get around some mature people who know how it works and spend time praying with them. That would be a place where you could start to learn how God is leading you and how he speaks to you. He's going to speak to you scripture. He's going to bring to mind certain things to pray about. There's going to be prompts and all of that, but get around some mature people who will do it. That's the best environment to develop that gift. All right, next one is discerning of spirits. Sometimes we call it discernment or distinguishing between spirits. It says in verse 10, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. What is this talking about? Often we call it spiritual discernment, um, which is the Holy Spirit-empowered gift to know if something's from the Holy Spirit, from the demonic, or from the flesh, or the spirit of the age. You just kind of know the source of where this thing is coming from. Um, In Acts chapter 13, Paul encounters this false teacher magician and uh, when he sees what's going on the guy had real spiritual power paul calls him i quote a son of the devil and an enemy of righteousness it's called discernment 
Guy had spiritual power. Paul didn't stand there and go, I wonder if this is from the Lord. Son of the devil. It's a false teacher. Happens in Acts chapter 16 as well. Uh, there's a demon-possessed slave girl and her slave owners are profiting off of her going around and telling people all sorts of uh, fortune teller kind of things. And he sees this. Eventually, it's actually really funny if you read Acts 16. Paul basically just gets annoyed of them, following them around. So he just then he casts the demon out of the girl and she gets saved. But he knew that that was a false demonic spirit. So that's what happened. Um, in Exodus, in the Old Testament, um, we, we have God giving Moses the ability to work signs and wonders. And what happened were the Egyptian sorcerers saw what Moses was doing and they started to manufacture false signs and wonders along with them. Okay, Just because it's spiritually powerful doesn't mean it's from the Holy Spirit. We don't chase the power. We discern the source and this stuff is not always from the Holy Spirit. Uh, a lack of this gift in a community is how you end up walking into false teaching. Uh, which is teaching that is not from the Holy Spirit. It might be demonic, it might be from the spirit of the age, but it's not from the Holy Spirit. Uh, I know a woman who is very discerning, and if she says something smells funny to her, I pay attention. You know, know people who have operated in the gift of discernment, and you can pay attention when they're going like, uh, we need to pray about this. Something here. Okay, tongues, verse 10. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Okay, Last on the list, but first in controversy. Uh, we finally get to the gift of tongues. <laughs> uh, R.T. Kendall was a pastor for a long time. He's written like 60 books or something like that. He said, if it were not for the stigma of this particular gift, given the notoriety it has received, I don't think the gifts of the Spirit would be nearly so controversial. So we're saying that tongues here just means languages. Um, over years, uh, over the years, uh, psychologists and psychiatrists and linguists and theologians and interested parties have um, done thousands of tests on people trying to understand what this is all about. So it's kind of like, come into our room and speak in tongues and we'll just try and figure out what you're saying. And they're like, that's not a real language. And you're like, cool, don't know, didn't say it was. Lots of tests. And I guess I just want to say, what if the God of the Bible gives us a gift that we can use but not necessarily fully understand? Are we okay with that? Or is that just an assault on your intellectual pride? <laughs> I don't understand God fully. I don't think I'm supposed to. If I fully understood God, I would be God. Do you have room in your theological understanding for a gift of the Spirit you might not fully be able to comprehend? Do we discard it or... Or just kind of, you know, mute it, no pun intended, because we're uncomfortable with it? Uh, Larry Christensen said, a super, Tongues are a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit, whereby the believer speaks forth in a language he or she has never learned, and which he or she does not understand. Um, like prophecy, we're going to talk about tongues a fair amount in chapter 14, because it's a whole bunch uh, in, in that text. Uh, let me just say a few things again, point form, probably that will get unpacked in a few weeks. Um, tongues is a gift of the Spirit in the Bible. In fact, it's mentioned like 20 times or something in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. This is our authority, and it's in there. That's all I want to say about that. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, or actually 12, 30, pardon me, says that not all people are going to speak in tongues. Do all speak in tongues? This is a rhetorical question. The answer is no. 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 18, Paul the Apostle says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. And you're like, oh, Paul's wacko. I liked everything else he said. Now I think he's wacko. I don't know, maybe. But that's what he said. Because it's true, and he spent 18 months with them hanging out in their church. They know him. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, Paul says tongues builds up the person who's praying in tongues, but not the church. So it's more of a personal thing, which is why he's going to say prophecy is better because it builds up the whole church. He's going to get into all of the weeds on this, and it's really, really interesting to study. I think what we're looking at here is more of a private prayer and praise than anything else, but the interpretation of tongues is somebody who can interpret the message of the unknown language for the benefit of everyone. Uh, Both tongues and an interpretation of tongues are empowered by the spirits. I think we should be open to it within the confines of the way Paul teaches it here in chapter 12, 13, and 14. I think we should be open to it. Okay, I've I've intentionally not been super self-referential walking through the gifts. Let me be self-referential for a moment. I came to Christ in 2001, in July 2001. Uh, Came to Christ in the States at a thing, and then I came back and I joined a church. Joined the church, had some guys start discipling me. It was one of those churches, right? So first week I'm there, they're like, you brand new Christian? I'm like, yeah, I'm brand new Christian. They're like, come with us, we have a room for you. And they took me into a room, and they're like quizzing me on what I believe about Jesus. And they're like, okay, you came to faith. We're going to lay hands on you now, and God will give you the uh, the Holy Spirit, and you're going to speak in tongues. I was like, huh, that's new. I didn't know anything about Christianity. So they laid hands on me, and they all spoke in tongues around me, thinking I would receive the gift of tongues. I just sat there, nothing happened. I was like, huh, well, great. Went home. Guy followed up with me because they had a good follow-up system. He's like, hey, have you studied the scriptures we uh, told you to study on the gift of tongues? I'm like, yeah. And so when I became a Christian, I, should, I, I became obsessed with the Bible. I just read the Bible nonstop. So I studied all the texts they gave me on the gift of tongues. I was like, well, if this is true, and I had faith that it was true, this is in the book. And they're like, okay, good. On Sunday, we'll pray for you again. So they pray for me again. That happened time and time and time and time again. They just kept praying for me. Nothing happened. And I was like, huh, maybe I'm broken. Then I read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30, where Paul says, do all speak in tongues? And the rhetorical question has an answer, no. And I went, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. You're just weird. You guys don't understand the Bible. Now, I've been a Christian for a month, so I was on good footing to say that. <laughs> so we actually, you know, you laugh. I actually said that. That's like, a, that's actually what happened. I, I just don't think you understand the Bible, which I contend is still true. Okay. <clears throat> Not you, them. Okay. Then I was at a worship event with a bunch of young adults, and I was standing up in the balcony. I was praising God, and I had in my mind and my heart this idea that they'd prayed for me lots, and I hadn't received it, but I saw it in Scripture, and I was open to it. And I just said, God, if this is real, and I see it in your word, but if it's there, I want it. Would you give me this gift? And I just kept singing. And I said, God, I want this. And all of a sudden, out of me flowed a language I'd never learned that I've prayed in not daily, but almost daily, for the last 21 years. Now, you know me as conservative Bible teacher Brett. This might wreck some of your categories. <laughs> I believe it's biblical. I just want to tell you it's one of the joys in my life. You've been prayed over for years in tongues, in the Spirit. Now, I know I'm not the only one in our church, but I just want you to know You go, well, that's just a personal thing. Yeah, I feel very built up by it. 
but I do think it's for the common good. All week this week, prayed for you in this manner, and I think it's powerful. There was nothing wrong with me when I had not received it, and there was nothing wrong with me when I received it. See, Paul the Apostle wasn't ashamed of the gift of the Spirit here, and, and, and I'm not either. Last week we talked about the why of the gifts of the Spirit, and today we're looking at what they are in terms of definition. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the how of how we can begin to cultivate and use the gifts. Um, let me close with this. Gordon Fee said, The presence of the Spirit in power and gifts makes it easy for God's people to think of the power and gifts as the real evidence of the Spirit's presence. Not so for Paul. The ultimate criterion of the Spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord, which in turn expresses itself in loving concern for others. That's what this is all about. For us as a church, that's what this is all about. Jesus said the world will know who his disciples are through the way that we love one another, and I am contending with you today that the gifts of the Spirit are one of the ways we can do that. Would you please stand with me as we respond?